we're going to cover a lot of territory. I mean, this is not just me getting up and doing some kind of preacher performance and, you know, oh, it made me feel good or, I like, or what. No, this is about the pastor's job of me trying to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I want to share with you what God is dealing with me about, and I want to bring out the Word of God, and I want the Word of God to speak. And I know God's going to speak this morning because His Word is speaking. And I want to be a vessel that He uses to bring out His Word, and you've got to let the Holy Spirit apply it in your life, and you've got to react to it and respond to it appropriately, okay? So uh, everybody's got to do their job, right? Um, and um, so it doesn't matter how well we bring this out. If you're not listening and you don't want to apply it, it's not going to, it's not going to be any good, all right? God's not going to force his word down us and into our souls. But I want to read this, and I've said before, this chapter isn't just here so we have something to talk about at weddings. This is here as part of him talking about the body of Christ and the spiritual gifts that God uses as tools uh, to minister in the body, that everything has to go with this. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter um, how much. It doesn't even matter if you were to give everything that you have to the poor. It doesn't matter if you even give up your body to be a martyr. If you don't have love, all right? So I'm going to read this. I may, uh, maybe a few comments pop out while I'm reading it, but we'll just read this and then, and then we're going we're gonna to mainly look at verses 4 through 13 because if you were here, you know I preached verses 1 through 3 like three weeks ago. And if you can't remember it, I think it's online. You can go and, and go back over it. Not that I did anything incredible, but just to get back in the Word and, and get the teaching on that. So I'm going to start with verse 1, even though we're really starting with verse 4. Ready? I'm reading from the New King James translation. might be a little different than what you're using. Uh, and we're going to talk about the different ways that some of these words could be translated as we go through it. Okay, here we go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I had the languages of every person that lived, of every dialect, and, and even of angels, but if I have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And I say that even if I'm preaching... And it's not out of love, my words and all that. I started to just grab the thing over and just start banging. Furthermore, bang, 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 bang. You know, that's all it amounts to if it's not love, right? And so you've said that your words, you need to be words of faith, spoken in faith. Well, I want to tell you one better. That's true. But you can even have faith. But if it's not spoken with love, according to Paul, it amounts to nothing. Amen? I mean, even if I spoke with all the tongues of men and of angels, and if I have not love... I'm just sounding like a, a, a clanging, irritating noise. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and, and I understand all mysteries. Pause. We don't because he said we know in part right now. One of these days we'll know it all. Okay, just keep that in mind. He says, though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Powerful. Let that sink in. Now, here's where we're at today. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, then when? Then when that which is perfect has come, okay? We're going to see face to face. He says, then, now I know in part, but then I will know just as I am known. How am I known completely? Now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. We've read that a lot probably, and we're not careful. We can just get lost in it and just, yeah, we've heard that before. Okay, so keep this. What's love got to do and not do with it? And we're talking about do with everything. What's the context of this? He's talking about that every one of us, go back to chapter 12, things like, what, verse 7? He's talking about, or verse 4, 7, somewhere in there. He's talking about that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, each one, every believer. If you're saved, this is you. To each one, a manifestation that God is going to reveal himself through our life. The Holy Spirit is given a manifestation of God through your life. Why? For the benefit of all. So we've been studying, we did this whole series about gifted, and what we find out, spiritual gifts are not just something that we're like, well, boy, look how gifted I am, and, and I'm, you know, I've got better gifts than you got. You know, and and, and that's, that causes division. These are supposed to bring unity. But the problem in Corinth, if you read this book, is that they were all disjointed, and they were fussing, and they were fighting, and there was no love. But we find out that spiritual gifts are actually tools that God uses in our life to build his kingdom. So here's what we have found out. If you remember, that spiritual gifts are tools God uses to build his kingdom. And that, that every gift that I have is a gift that involves the body. Because chapter 12, he talks about the body of Christ. That we're all part of that body. If you're saved, you're part of the body of Christ. That means you're not only connected to Christ, you're connected to one another. And that the gifts that God gives you is to be used to minister and to help equip and to build up other members of the body. So I find out that there's no way I can experience the fullness of my relationship with Christ without you. Because I'm part of the body. And a lot of what he wants to do in my life, he's going to do through gifts and tools that he gives you. And vice versa. We need each other. But, you know, it's great to get along with the Lord. It's just hard to get along with you. And the devil has found easy ways to sabotage us so that... We don't operate in this like we should. And that's why the local body, the church, everybody in the New Testament that gets saved connects themselves to a local body of believers. That's why a lot of times we're so weak. It's because we still are sinners. We're growing. We're going to have to have grace. We're going to have to have the power of God. We find out the spiritual gifts are tools that God uses to build his kingdom. And now this whole thing on love is right here in the middle of him talking about this. It's about being part of the body of Christ and about spiritual gifts used to minister and build one another up. And it's no, listen to me, it's no surprise that right in the middle of it, he goes into this whole thing on love. Now, this applies to husbands and wives. Yes, it does. But do you do realize the context is about all of us, fellow believers. And this is how we're to be with each other. This isn't just a special love that you have with your spouse. This is to be a love that we all have with everybody. 
So please understand that, and it applies both ways, all right? So we said that these are tools, and love is the handle that fits every one of these tools because without love, that's what I preached on a few weeks ago, without love, none of it works. None of it amounts to anything. So more than telling us what love is, what Paul's doing here is he's telling us what love does and what love does not do. And the word translated love in our language And if you're reading the old King James Version, I'm sorry, but it was translated charity. And charity, even in that day, was about doing nice deeds. And we know that that's not what it is because he already said, even if you did nice deeds and gave everything you had away and don't have this, you profit you nothing. See? So it's a word. It's the Greek word. What's the Greek word? It's the word, as you're familiar with many of you, if you've been around long, agape. That is the word in the original language that was written that's later translated into English. You know that there are about five different Greek words or really four in the New Testament that are translated by our English word love. Agape is a unique word, and we don't find it much in classical Greek literature. It was almost foreign to the mind of people, uh, this kind of love. Uh, This kind of love isn't just having a, a, a fond affection for one another. It isn't just about caring deeply for others. This is the God kind of love. So agape, uh, the early translators, because there wasn't much reference to it in the Greek, they thought it may have been a special word that God coined to be used in his word. But then we find out that this is, it was used some, but this gave a whole new meaning because this is the word that God chose to use. In John 3, 16, for God what? So loved. It is about sacrificial, selfless, unconditional, never-ending giving of oneself to others. That's what God has done. And without it, the gifts, the tools are worthless. So we live in a world where most people in our world have no idea what love really is. I think we said that last time. I don't need to go back through it, how we're looking for love in all the wrong places, faces, all of that. Um, so that we have no idea what it really is. You know, to most people, love is about, here, I'll tell you, this is what it is to most people. Love is about, they think they're in love. It's about how someone else makes them feel about themselves. It's not other-focused, it's self-focused. I love you. It's because at the moment you make me feel great about myself. That's not agape. Agape is no matter what you do, I give myself sacrificially, selflessly, unconditionally, never-endingly to you. Um, see, with God, this is what it is. And it's like here, Paul shines a light through a prism. And we get to see like 15 different, um, 15 different uh, hues and colors of this love in the spectrum. We get to see it, all right? And I want you to know also, in the original text of the Greek, that all of these are verbs. That's why I said he tells us what it does and does not do, rather than just giving us some type of technical description or definition. He tells us what it does and doesn't do. Every one of these are verbs in the Greek. Now, in, the, in most English translations, there's an, an adjective or two thrown in there. But in the Greek, it's all about action or action that we're not supposed to be taking. So he tells us what it looks like. Um, he breaks it down to its smaller parts so that we can get a good look at it and understand it and apply it to our lives. Agape love is verb. It's active. Did you know that? Now, this love is a thing. It's a real thing. That's a noun, right? Person, place, or thing. But if you've got the noun love, if you've got agape, if you've got this love, it produces action. And if you don't have the action, you don't have the noun. You've got to have the verb if you've got the noun. Are you following me? 
Or you just, yeah, you're in deep thought. That's why, yeah, it's not like, woo. But anyway, you're in deep thought. This is like getting in deep. Um, give me a verse where it's used both ways. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where, you know, he's talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? We were dead. And, but he's made us alive through Christ. There's shouting ground right there, right? But he says, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he goes on to describe that. And then in verse 4 he says, but God. See, I was powerless to save myself because spiritually I was dead, right? But God is not dead. Two words change your whole eternity right there. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, noun, agape. Because of his great agape. With which he agaped us. That's not how it reads in the Greek, but you know what I'm saying. So you have, you have this word as a noun, and then it's in a verb. With his great love, wherewith he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. Amen. All right? So that's what Paul's trying to teach us, that it is action. All right. So let's lay a foundation here. The first thing that he says in verse 4 is love, agape, suffers long and is kind. He lays down a little foundation there, and then he begins to approach it from the negative end and tell us what it doesn't do. And what he's saying is, is that this is a love that gives and takes. You know, life's about give and take, okay? Well, you won't like this unless you've got Jesus in your heart because this is humanly impossible, Okay? Because I can't love like this. Only Jesus can love like this. Only God can love like this. And I need my life so filled up with Jesus that Jesus is loving people through me. And I'm not getting in the way. Amen. I need this sermon. So you guys sit and listen. Okay? <laughs> can you take it? Well, the first thing he says love is it suffers long. The Greek word is long-suffering. Uh, the word actually is macrothumia means a long time till I lose my cool. It's really, it's what that word literally means. It could be translated long-tempered. It is usually translated in more modern talk as patience. So he's saying long-suffering or patience. That is, love is that. That's what it is, but it's a verb. That's what it does. It suffers long. And it indicates patience particularly with other people. Now, to the Greeks, vengeance was a virtue. They didn't know much about this. This is, I mean, you think about this being different than the world we live in. It was, it was even more different than the world they lived in. The Corinthians is such a corrupt society. So God's agape love gives us the ability to take. That is, to put up with each other. I'm able to put up, because guess what? I know I'm not perfect, but you're not perfect either. But your imperfections and your weaknesses and your failures and your sins and all that stuff, I get sick of it. But if I've got agape love, I am willing to take it. I don't care how ridiculous you are, because agape love says you are worth it. Unconditionally. It's not I'm going to put up with you if it's unconditional. Okay. And then you flip that over, can you give when you don't feel like it? Can you give when you... So love is patient or long-suffering and kind. And that's what kindness is all about. It means to be gracious, to be helpful, to show goodwill. It not only desires the welfare of others, but it works to produce it. It's the counterpart of patience. Patience is, I can take, and even when what I'm taking from you 
is a bunch of <laughs> bad stuff. Even in the midst of that, I can still give kindness. Even when I don't feel like it. It's hard to be kind to people who are not being kind to you. But when you've got long, see how long suffering and patience, uh, or patience and, and kindness, they're both like both ends of a similar thing. I can take it and then even I can absorb this because of that love and because of love, even when that's happening, I can still be gracious and kind and good to you. Um, striving for the welfare of others, the goodwill of others. Patience has to do, as I said, what you can take. Kindness has to do with how you treat them and what you give them in return. Love is patient. Love is kind. You got the foundation there now? You got two-way street here. Give and take. Good. All right, so now we can move on. See, I can preach a lot quicker if I know you're getting it. If you're looking at me like I, I don't think they're getting it, I, I over-talk it. See, so you can, if I preach too long, it might be your fault, not mine. Okay, all right, so um, here we go. Now he's going to tell us what agape love is not and does not do. Because the next thing he says is love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. All right, so there's like eight negative descriptions that are going to follow this. First one is love is not envious or jealous. It does not envy. What's that mean? Well, uh, it means to desire what others have or wish something bad would happen to them so they don't have it either. Are you there? You look around and you want what other people have and you don't want them to have it. You want you to have it. Love doesn't do that. Love's not always trying uh, to, to do this kind of thing. The word is actually zilu, and it's a word that is sometimes translated zealous. And it can be used positively and negatively. It has to do with what you desire, whether you're desiring something good or whether you're desiring something bad. In fact, that very same Greek word, as I'm interpreting the Bible, I want to see where else is it used. It's actually used in chapter 12, verse 31, when he says, earnestly desire the best spiritual gifts. That we ought to desire to do our best for God. However, one commentator pointed out that that could have been translated as just a statement of fact, is that you are desiring or envious of the greater gifts. And wait a minute, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, and it's a way of love. And that, that very well could be the way it should be translated. But here's the problem with envy, is that this person can never be satisfied with themselves or with others or with God. Why? Because you always focus on what you don't have and what others do have. That's where your focus is. You're never going to be happy or satisfied, and love doesn't do this. You're not envying. You're happy for other people. You're, you're blessed whenever they're getting ahead, okay? All right, so love is not. I can preach a sermon on every one of these, right? Yes, good. Okay, love is, does, is not envious, does not envy uh, or jealous. Love, he says, I like the way this is put. He says love does not parade itself. You know, I'm going to have a self-parade. You know, look at me. Right? I don't know. I just see that. Paul's trying to say that. This is a word that literally means to boast. It doesn't boast. The word means to go beyond, to brag. This might be the other side of jealousy. That by jealousy, that you're desiring uh, what other people have, but here you're bragging in order to make other people jealous of you. 
and think, well, you're so much better and you've got things that I don't have and you're better than me and I want what you've got. So bragging uh, seeks to put you first and above everyone else. And these are things, you're going to find out that these are all things, when he says don't do this and do this, these are all, if you read 1 Corinthians, you're going to find out that every one of these are things that he's already addressed in this book of things that they were doing and things they were not doing. Okay, you're going to find out that he's, he's already talked about every single... They were envious of each other. They were envious of each other's offices in the church. They were envious of gifts. Uh, they weren't patient. Uh, they weren't kind to each other. Uh, they were always trying to promote self. It was a horrible situation. Kind of sounds like Hartville. Okay, let's move on. Uh, then he says, does not parade itself or boast... And then he says, I like this one. He says, I don't like it because it happens. Is not puffed up in this translation. Uh, it, literally, it means is not arrogant. Okay? Um, uh, literally means to inflate. So it kind of goes on the heels of not parading itself and bragging and boasting, you know, and trying to puff itself up. I think of a giant blowfish here. You know, you know it's a blowfish. Another blowfish comes along and... I'm bigger than you, you know. Uh, female blowfish comes along, look at me. You know what I'm saying? It's all about me, puffed up, thinking I'm bigger, better, badder than everybody. And I say bad in a good way, you know. You see what I'm saying? You know, boy, that's bad, that, but that means, okay, never mind. <sighs> Not puffed up. That is, we want to make ourselves seem more than what we actually are. Can I just hide here for a while? <laughs> Don't we all struggle with that? Yeah. I just pat myself on the back since nobody else is doing it. it. That's the kind of thing. It's part of our human nature. That's why we've got to have the Spirit of Christ and be Spirit-led if we're going to not do these things and if we're going to do the things that love does. It takes the Spirit of God. By the way, this word about being puffed up, he used a lot in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when he said that they were puffed up against each other and they were even puffed up against Paul himself not thinking that he was going to come there and deal with them. I mean, they were, just, they were trying to put themselves above him too. I mean, this place was a mess. And then he says, uh, not puffed up, um, we're, um, we're, in verse 5, does not behave rudely. It's not rude. Um, in the old King James, it says, is uh, not unseemly. I'm, that's, that's, we don't speak that way much anymore. Or the New American says, act unbecomingly. Uh, but the word literally means to be without form, and it has to do with manners. It has to do with rudeness. Here's somebody that cares nothing for the feelings and sensitivities of others. It's careless, overbearing, and crude. This was a trademark of the way the Corinthians treated each other. And, and here's where it comes in. It's like you'll know people that's got little peculiarities. You know, there's things that they need to just get over, right? There's things that they don't like, right? But if I know you don't like it, and if I... Uh, oh, okay, we're all going to need to pray. Let me just say that when this is over. But if I know you don't like it, and it's not just that I'm trying to tease your pitch, but if I know you don't like something, I don't care how ridiculous your hang-up is, if I continually do it just to irritate you, I'm being rude. Because I'm not considering your feelings or your sensitivities, how you feel about it, even if how you feel about it might be somewhat immature or ridiculous. Okay, let's please move on. He says does not seek its own, literally is not self-seeking. 
And this kind of expands on parading yourself, being puffed up, and then literally he comes on and says, seeks not its own, meaning seeking its own way. This kind of love doesn't all... This kind of love doesn't have to have its own way. I don't have to always get my way in order to be happy with you. I don't always have to constantly be seeking everybody to go along with my way. Which, by the way, a lot of times I do know that I probably do things in a better way than other people, Pam. I mean, it's just like even when you're making a sandwich, if you do it this way, you would like it better. And my family's always getting on me that. You think just because you like it, everybody else should like it. Here, try this. Try this. This is good. I don't want to, but it's good. How could you not like this? Oh, you know, that's a little bit. That's one of the shades of the color of this. But, but, but it really comes down to not always having to have your own way. Jesus is a perfect example of this, where he said he didn't come to serve, but to what? Be served. All right, that should be it. So this is love. This is not just in marriage, but this is all of us together. All right? All right? So, hey, hey, how about this one? It doesn't seek its own, not self-seeking. Even sometimes when you know you're right and they're wrong, huh? Sometimes we just got to find out, okay? Sometimes we just got to find out. Okay, let's go on. Um, Then he says this next, Um, and this is still verse 5, after seeks, does not seek its own, is not provoked, is not provoked. That means to be easily irritated or angry. True love, and it's going to take, like I'm saying, Jesus in you, pull this off. True love doesn't get irritated, provoked to anger easily. means you can observe, this goes back along with, long-suffering or patience, that, that this is an action that sometimes happens when we're not that. One of the big reasons that people are so stressed is this all flows together. We do think we have to have all the things our way all the time, and we get provoked, we get angry when we don't get it. Because we're self-seeking, and because we're puffed up, and because of all of that, we get provoked because people rarely do things the way you want it done and treat you the way you want to be treated. So you get provoked, you get agitated, you get irritated, you get frustrated. Not a lot of amens. Okay. So this love not only can absorb, but we're not easily like getting frustrated, stressed, and angry and losing our tempers. They were doing that with each other. Then he says this, and this one we're going to have to come back to, I'm afraid. I've been wrestling with this because he says, thinks no evil. Thinks no evil. Now, if you're reading like the NIV or something, it, it actually more accurately translated, I think it keeps no record of wrong. Is that right? Somebody got that? This next one does not think evil. It, it literally means to think means to make an account. And evil means wrongdoing. And literally, that's what it's saying, literally, to keep a bad account. This has to do with being resentful, okay? Thinks no evil. Has to, it doesn't mean that you're going around not thinking bad thoughts. Well, you shouldn't. I mean, we got to, that's a whole other category that the Holy Spirit wants to work on. But when it's saying this, it's about toward other people, that you're not thinking. But the word thinking is more than just the normal word for thinking. It is a word that means to keep a ledger. Are you following this? That you're keeping a ledger. True love doesn't keep a ledger um, or an inventory. And, and the purpose of that inventory and the in, each entry in that record is that it can be consulted whenever needed. And I'll pull it out. And there it is. 
that we're keeping every time something doesn't go our way or somebody wrongs us, we're keeping a record. And buddy, the next time I get a chance, I'm going to flip that thing open and pull it out and present it to you. Okay? Holding a grudge, being resentful is what this is talking about. And I like the way he phrases it as in keeping a record of wrong. Some of us have got some pretty big lists. we got thick volumes of it. And maybe one of the things that happens as you experience freedom today is you bring those, those invisible ledgers and you lay them on the altar. John Stroop was preaching and he pointed out something that we need to point out here again is that in the, in the New Testament, we, the altar is the cross. But the altar was not just a place of, of prayer in the Bible. The altar was a place of death. Because the animal died and it was a picture of the substitutionary death that Christ would one day give for all of us on the cross. But it was a place of death. So when you bring something to the altar, it should die there. You leave it there. It's a sacrifice. It should go up as a burnt offering to God. Maybe we need to bring some of those ledgers and just give them to God and say, you know, uh, there's so many things that people have wronged me in so many ways they've shorted me and I can't let go of them and I I can't fix them and all you're doing is punishing yourself. Maybe you just need to give them to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to forget about them just like you forgot about my sins. Romans chapter 4, Paul uses the same Greek word when he says that it was reckoned or imputed to him for righteousness and that Christ took our offenses on the cross. Basically, this is the gist of it, that all of the record of our sins, God did have a record, that inventory, and he put them on Jesus and Jesus paid it in full. And then he takes the inventory of Jesus' righteousness and deposits that in our account. But that's a sense of how the word can be used. Here it's saying you're keeping an inventory of every wrong that's done and he says agape does not do that. Um, that's why it says in Hebrews ten seventeen that God can say our sins and iniquities, he what? Remembers no more. He burned the record. Did you know that? That's what he wants us to do with one another. Forgiveness is involved in this word about thinketh no evil or keeping no record of wrong. Forgiveness. And God help us. I think we need to come back next week and talk about for a week or so about forgiveness that we receive from God, and and you say, but you don't know what has happened to me or what they did. I don't, but God does, and he knows how to set you free from it because a lot of times what we do is we're the prisoner that we take uh, when it happens. So we'll come back to it, Lord willing. So does not think evil, or literally does not keep a record of wrong. The next thing he says, does not rejoice in iniquity. And iniquity means law-breaking or wrongdoing. Um, unrighteousness, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. So it's bad enough to do wrong. It's even worse to rejoice or to brag about the wrong. And he says, love doesn't do They were doing that. Even if you read about this church, is it that at one point they had some kind of bad sin thing going on and they weren't, they weren't dealing with it. They were proud of it. Look how, we're, look, how, look how tolerant we are and accepting. And Paul says, you don't tolerate things that God says, I don't tolerate, right? And you're not dealing with it. So we have bragging about it. They weren't rejoicing in the truth. They were rejoicing in wrongdoing. This would even have the appearance of trying to justify or rationalize wrongdoing in our life or trying to make bad that we're doing appear good. Love doesn't do that. It might also take the form of of being happy when you hear something bad has happened to someone else. Or it may be being happy, rejoicing in in unrighteousness or wrongdoing. It may be you being happy when you hear that someone has fallen into sin. 
It ought to grieve our heart every time someone, a brother or sister, stumbles and falls. And we ought to say, but for the grace of God, that could be me. But you see some people, and that might also be happening uh, when we're gossiping. Well, did you hear what happened to, you know? Almost the gleam in our eye. Somebody told me once, said, well, I wasn't gossiping. I said, well, they said they heard it from you. Well, I didn't tell them. Well, they said they heard it from you. Well, I didn't gossip about it. I just asked them had they heard it. I didn't say I believed it. I just said, did you hear? And well, they, no, they hadn't heard it, but now they had. But you know what? This can also be that rejoicing. And, um, by the way, even, listen, even if gossip is true, some things do not need to be told that are even true. So, right? Okay. This love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or iniquity. Now we're going to flip it over to the positive and wrap this thing up. Are you ready? So we had all these knots, and this does apply to marriage because if you're married and you've tied the knot, you need to make sure you got these knots in order. Not envious, not, yeah. Okay, good. All right. All right. What love does. We see what love doesn't do, but now what love does. Paul's back to listing some positives. In contrast to not rejoicing in wrong, he says it does rejoice in truth. He's speaking of God's truth here. I mean, you don't, you don't, um, you don't love people if you let them go on in error and false teaching. Right? So truth is important. It rejoices in truth. And sometimes we've got to, because we do love people, we need to confront them with truth. It rejoices in truth. And then he says this. And um, we're in verse 7. It says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, please. He says all things. And by all things, he's not saying that things that are, you believe everything or, or, or that you put up with everything. No, the things that are according to God's word and God's will. Okay? That's what the all things are that he's speaking of here. So please have a little common sense and understand that when you compare it to the rest of Scripture. Um, it doesn't say that you're believing or hoping or bearing uh, things that are, are like false teaching or lies or things that are not of God. By all things, he's speaking of all things acceptable in God's righteousness and will, everything within the Lord's divine tolerance. We're talking about that. And so he says he, it bears all things. The word bear literally means, do you know what that means? It literally means to cover. That's what that word means in the Greek. It covers. Is that this kind of love, instead of wanting to expose others in their weakness or difficulties, we want to cover them. In fact, the Bible even talks about uh, how that we, um, that, that we can not just cover each other when we're in trouble, but we cover others in their weaknesses. Not that we're making excuses for them, but this is, has to do with a help, a protection, a covering. It covers. It bears all things. Then he says, believes all things. Now, by saying believes all things doesn't mean that you're like gullible and believe everything. You're right. That's not what he's saying. That word for believe there is the same word that is translated faith. It's a verb. But so by saying believe, it's talking about having faith. Trust could be there. Committing yourself to others. That's, that's what it does. Not only covers those they love, but trusts those they love, believes those they love. It, it, and that's what it means to commit. It indicates a deep trust that you have. That's what this love does. Instead of always being suspicious and jealous, it trusts, it believes. So he says that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes 
all things. Hopes all things. Um, that's the next thing. It doesn't want to give up. Hope. It never gives. This love doesn't say, well, I have had, you know, how many of us, we say that, but we want to, like, I've had it. I'm done. Now, there may be times that I'm done trusting you in some areas because trust is, 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 is something that sometimes you have to earn. Like, if you, know, if, you, if you keep stealing money out of my wallet, I'm going to quit letting you hold on to it, right? But that doesn't mean I stop loving you. I don't stop loving you. And I, I'm, I'm praying for you to change, even if I can't, you know, be involved with you in some ways. I can't change you. Only God can. This kind of agape love never gives up hope on one another. That here's what we believe. We don't give up. Listen, that God's grace and God's power are bigger than their failure or weakness. God's grace, God's power is bigger than their weakness or failure or sin. Jesus didn't give up on Peter when he denied him. And Paul's not giving up on the Corinthians either, even though they were, fam- they were failing in so many ways that this love never gives up. We're just too quick to pull the plug on each other. We're too quick to say, I'm done. We're too quick to actually quit loving one another. And then it says, endures all things. And that word for endure is the Greek word upomeno. It means literally to stand up under the load. It hangs in there. It means to abide under. It perseveres no matter what. It doesn't stop. It endures everything. And I'm surprised sometimes the little bit of nothing that it takes us to, to break fellowship with each other, the little bit of nothing that it takes sometimes for people to just say, I'm done with that church. I'm done talking to my friends. I'm done with my family. And some people in marriage just say, I'm done with this relationship. When it says, see, you don't just fall in and fall out of love. This kind of love, if you've got God's love, it endures all things. It stands up under the load. The word literally means to take up a, mil- a military position and to hold a vital position at all cost. You don't back down. You stay in there. You, you, you go through it. You endure. I'm amazed sometimes of how small the things are. If we say we love each other, of what small things it takes before we just break fellowship and quit. If that's the case, you didn't have love. You, you may have had fond affection. That's another Greek word, phileo. And if you only have that, it doesn't take much to break it. You can lose your affection for people. Did you know that? You can lose that feeling of affection and concern for people. But if you've got agape, that doesn't stop it. You stay in there and you're still committed and you still love and you endure and you abide even and especially when they don't deserve it because that's exactly what God has done for you. You never deserved it and you still don't deserve it, but aren't you mighty glad that God still loves you? His love endures. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up by then the way he wraps up. I have to fly through this, so please buckle your seatbelt. He says, love never fails. He talks about the eternality of this love. This isn't just some, I feel it and then I don't. This is for real and it's for good. Agape. That's God's love. All other kinds of things are going to fail, expire, or fade away. But not this love. It's here to stay. It's so powerful because not only is love of God, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 8 says that, that, that love comes from God. And then he goes on to say that God is love. Okay? This is the more excellent way. 
that we're talking about here. And, and, and even all the seemingly showy gifts, one of these days he goes on to say, will fail. But guess what won't fail? Love. All these things are going to pass away, but not love. They were obsessed with certain things. Paul wants them to be obsessed with loving like God loves. Instead of one-upping each other and all of that. In the end, this is the only thing that's going to matter. He goes on to talk about our knowledge. He said, um, he kind of exaggerates here again that um, our knowledge, you know, he said, if I know all things and all mysteries in the beginning. But here he says, that all my knowledge um, and, and is, is going is, is gonna to come to nothing someday. It's all, all my preaching, all my prophecy, all of these things are so partial. We've not arrived. In fact, he says, we're like someone looking in a foggy mirror, and we really don't see ourselves exactly as we are. We need to realize that all the time that we're here, we're growing and maturing. And we're going to struggle and we're going to fail. I'm going to need you to have agape love to hang in there with me. And I'm going to have to have it for you. The Corinthians were very immature. And he's telling them it's time to grow up and put away childish things and start acting mature. Now, one day we will be perfect. One day that day's coming. We're going to see him face to face. And we'll know even as we're known perfect. But that day's not here and not now. Because he's talking about when we see him face to face. When that which is perfect has come. And guess what? That's not here and not now. So because we don't have it. What we've got to hang on to is the one thing that is permanent. And that's love. One day our knowledge will be complete. Because we're going to know completely as we're known. Now there's three things. Three things. Remain. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. All those things are great things, aren't they? Why do you say the greatest is love? Why? The reason love is the greatest is on that day that he's just talked about, when we see him face to face. On that day, hope will no longer be necessary. Because everything that you could have ever hoped for, you will receive. And Paul's already told us, if you see it and you have it, then you don't have to hope for it. One of these days you will see it and you will have it. And you will be made perfect. You'll have that. Amen? So you won't have to hope anymore. Right now we walk by faith. Faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And we're going to receive it all so we don't have to hope for it. And we're going to see it all so we don't have to have evidence of what we can't see. Now we walk by faith. But one of these days our faith will become sight. It'll all be there. So one of these days we'll no longer have that. We will no longer forever have to walk by faith, but love. Love on that day, even on that day. Love now. Love carrying through to eternity. One of these days, it's not going to expire. It's not going to be fulfilled. It's going to continue on. It will explode on that day. That day you leave this body and go out to glory. Love is going to explode. You're going to receive all your hopes. You're going to, everything you've had faith in, you're going to see. But love is the only one of these three that lasts throughout eternity. And it'll never, the love of God will never stop overwhelming us. The love of God will never stop filling us. The love of God will never stop flowing through us. And will never stop glorifying the Lord as it fills us up and flows back to Him. 
And as I'm just receiving His love and letting it fill me up and letting it flow back to Him, I pray you get in the way. Huh? Because we're part of a body. And according to Jesus, there's no way I can love God back without it being connected to you. I can't really, oh boy, we can go to 1 John. I can't really love God if I don't love you. I'm not loving God if I'm not loving you. In fact, John said, you say you love God and hate your brother. He says, well, you're a liar. When you say you love God, it's what you're lying about. You don't. It's all talk. God help me, amen? So if the spiritual gifts are going to work properly, and if the body's going to function healthily, and if relationships are going to be something that's amazing. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, this is the way that everybody's going to know you're my disciple. How? In John chapter 13, what do he say? If you love one another. That's how everybody's really going to know. It's not just because you go to church. Not just because you do some things differently. It's not even because you preach or you teach or you serve or you give. It's because you love like Jesus loved. All right. Take it home. Just a couple of questions. Do you have this love? Have you received it? Will you let God love you like that? That's where it starts. It starts by you and me falling down before him as a humble sinner, repenting of our sin, and just saying, I put my faith and I put all my hope, put it all, I'm going to shoot the moon, right? I'm going to put it all on Jesus. All my hope, all my faith, I put in his love that was proved once and for all. It took action. And he says it was manifest in John. He says it was manifest us on the cross. There's your proof. Don't say God doesn't love you. I wish I had a picture of what it really looked like of Jesus hanging, beaten beyond recognition and bloody on the cross. I know the passion of the Christ tried to come close, but I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was worse than that. And say, if you're not loved, explain that. God, fully God, fully human, hanging on a cross for you. Because somehow he thought you were worth it. And he still does. You are loved. Will you accept this love by faith? Put your faith and hope in it because it is available right now. And it's only when I do that and I submit to walking in the Spirit's power instead of my power that this love flows through me because agape love is not natural human love. And if I'm going to love like this, it is nothing more than me being filled up with God's love and letting it spill out onto other people as I let it flow up to God. Father, help us to...